There is nothing wrong with your listening device. Do not attempt to adjust the sound. We are now controlling the transmission. We will control all that you hear. You are about to experience the awe and mystery which reaches from the deepest inner mind to the Batman universe. Welcome to the special spooktacular Batman Universe podcast. I'm your host, Demon Dustin, and with us today we have... This is Necromancer Nick. (laughs) And this is Jekyll Josh, coming to you on the dead airwaves. Alright, so as you know, we are going to be having our special Halloween episode, as Halloween is right around the corner. Some of you actually might be listening to this after Halloween, and to you I say download the episodes and check iTunes sooner. So, we are still going to cover the normal news that we normally cover. Uh, we'll be covering movie, TV, merchandise, video game, and general news. Very, very little news to report this week, but we in fact have lots of stuff for our feature, which is all about Halloween. And different things having to do with Batman and Batman's interactions with monsters and creatures of the night, and all kinds of things related to the comics, movies, and TV. So, let's get into uh, the news, and we'll get into the feature then.
So let's start off with movie news. The first thing and only thing we have in movie news is on October 18th, uh, Comics 2 Film is reporting that Warner Premiere is looking to make a sequel to the Superman Batman film. Based on the sales success, which was 200,000 copies in the very first week it was released, they are looking to make a sequel. No word on which storyline they will adapt, but we won't see anything until after Justice League Crisis on Two Earths makes its way to store shelves. Well, clearly they've done well, well with um, Superman Batman. Uh, 200,000 copies is pretty good. I mean, when we talked about the uh, DC films, we were expecting them to do pretty well just because it's got the two names, Superman and Batman, in the title. But it sounds like they've done well. But a sequel uh, doesn't really excite me that much because I thought the film was okay. Um, but it, it could, at least it'll be another Batman film and it'll be interesting to see where they go with that. What sort of... Are they, are they planning on following a strict comic book storyline again? Um, like I said, we, ha- we don't know anything yet, but I mean, if they follow it, based on my review that I gave the movie, I would say that they need to follow a little closer. Hmm. Well, yeah. it'll be interesting to see what they do with that. Yeah, I don't even know if sequel would be the proper word because... That was pretty much the beginning and the end of that story. You know, what's the sequel to Luther's presidency? I think follow-up would be more appropriate, and I don't know if that's just how Warner Brothers announced it or if that's just what the press interpreted. I think that's just what the press interpreted. I honestly don't think that anybody ever actually announced it. I don't think Warner Brothers actually announced it. I think they just said that they were very pleased by the sales and they would be looking towards making the Superman Batman sequel. And sequel, like you said, is a strong word. I think it's more on the lines of it's going to be just another Superman-Batman movie. Yeah, completely standalone film. Right. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to realize that when you have Superman and Batman together, you don't need to have, or you're going to have good sales. The next storyline in the Superman-Batman comics at the time was the Supergirl from Krypton story. That might be interesting to see an adaptation of. If it's done well, by the way, so this DVD came out a month ago or less. We already have a sequel slash follow up announced. It's amazing how, you know, they can do that in a few weeks or a month. Announce the fact that, yes, there's going to be a sequel and some movies a year and a half later. We're still waiting on an announcement, Hmm. but we won't get into that. So, let's move into TV news. So, there's only two things to report. The first thing, October 18th, um, Newsarama posted up some comments with James Tucker, and they discussed why there was a break between episodes of Batman the Brave and the Bold, and if this, in fact, this these seasons that are now airing now are actually part of season two. Here's what he had to say. Actually, Cartoon Network held back four episodes of the first season, notes series co-creator James Tucker. So, technically... The one airing tomorrow is not a second season show. I don't know when they've scheduled the second season. The four shows you'll see over the next month, when Omega Attacks, Mayhem of the Music Meister, Inside, of the Outs- Inside the Outsiders, and Fate of the Equinox are the last shows of the first season. So, it looks like, as we predicted and as we've been talking about for quite some time, this is still season one, and unless you, have, unless you live over in the UK or Canada... Uh, you haven't seen these other episodes 
Some of these episodes have already aired because Teletoon and the Cartoon Network in the UK hasn't didn't ha- hold them back for whatever reason like Cartoon Network here in the US did. Well, I always think it's a bit strange in America, the way the TV scheduling works. Because over here, we seem to have a culture of you make a series and then it's episode every week until you're finished. And that's how it works over here generally. But in America, it seems to break up a lot more, varying on different sort of shows. And um, yeah, so obviously over here, they just continuously went through the first season. We had all these episodes a while ago. And um, it seems odd that they've held it back in America, but at least they're finally airing. Well, for the most part, we do things similar here, but if it's like a 22-episode season or something, they'll do a block in like September and October, then have a break for a few weeks, then they'll have November and December sweeps, then you'll have a break sometime, and just basically they'll do a block of episodes and little breaks here and there, and then there's the sweep months, like they consider February sweeps and season finales in May, but Cartoon Network, they've always done things odd in terms of how they break up their episodes and seasons. And from what I understand right now, they're trying to move away from cartoons as well, but that's another story for another podcast. Yeah, the name of the network is Cartoon, but they have live-action shows. It's called The CN now, or something. Uh, But anyway, so that's all the TV news. Now, the other thing is, as we're recording this, we haven't gotten an official word that there is going to be a new episode of Batman Brave and the Bold the Friday that this podcast is released. But if there is, it would be Inside of the Outsiders, followed by Fate of the Equinox. So by the time you listen to this, they've probably already announced and we've probably posted the news up on the website. But um, that's what you can look forward to in the coming weeks. Since we're talking about... Uh the Brave and the Bold. Have you guys seen the... Well, I know you have, Dustin, and I finally have seen it. Have you seen it, Josh, the new musical episode? Yeah, in fact, I wrote a review uh, for the website. Right, okay. What did you reckon to it? I loved it. Um, now, I was kind of conditioned to love it because th- this is where a bunch of Batman fans are going to groan, but I actually grew up in a very musical theater-like environment. Uh, my brother uh. was old. Yeah, there you go. He <laughs> I'm was- only kidding. He did community theater, I did community theater, and when I was a teenager, I did, uh, you know, little theater stuff with my friends, and, you know, all you people that groan, it's a great way to meet girls, because there's very few guys there, and some of the guys that are there aren't interested in girls, so, (laughs) and that's that's all I'm going to say, nothing wrong with that, nothing wrong with that, but... Yeah, so I, I love the episode, and uh, I put in the review. I actually watched it with uh, two kids from work, and just to kind of gauge their reactions. And that was a mistake, because for the rest of the night, they wanted to reenact the scenes, and they were singing Drives Us Bats for the next four hours. I um, actually really enjoyed it. I think the Brave and the Bold seems what? to me. I know, I know. I was amazed, but I did. I really thought it was very entertaining. It seems the Brave and the Bold actually bash out these... Um, odd really excellent episodes i thought the um there's been about three or four that i thought were quite good and then the rest of it isn't quite so great but the musical could the the musical could have been a complete disaster and um i remember we talked about it a long long time ago when we first heard about it we're talking like nine months or so now i think but um it's been really really i thought it was really great they do a good job with it i think and credit where credit's due i agree i think overall 
the uh, the expectations that we had when it was first announced was seriously this is turning into exactly what we predicted originally when they first announced the series, which was seriously they're making a Batman who cracks jokes. We're taking it back to the campy airiness, but when the the series actually first came out, we were treated to something that we weren't really prepared for because it's still good. It's not bad by any means. It's just some episodes are better than other episodes, and I completely agree with that because there's plenty of episodes that we watch that I could easily pass on, but then there's plenty of other episodes that are really good, and I would suggest them to any Batman fan to watch. What's interesting with the music episode is Apple and I saw this back in uh, San Diego at the at the actual Batman Brave and the Bold panel, and the, the creators and the voice talents were all up on the uh, stage for the panel. They aired the episode, standing ovation afterwards. I mean, it was a great episode, and I'm just glad now, finally, it can be talked about because... Uh, I mean, as much as we can, t- we were able to talk about it. You really can't talk about it to the degree where you have a mass audience, you have a mass amount of people who've seen it, and you can all discuss it. So, I mean, at this point, everybody's pretty much seen it, even if you're in the U.S. and didn't get to see it until like a month after everybody else. But it was a great episode, and there was definitely some songs that will be drilled into people's brains for quite some time from that. And I think Neil Patrick Harris deserves a round of applause because he did an amazing job as well, as he always does. I love the reference to a shark repellent bat spray. Yeah. There's a lot yeah. of references. Oh, that whole death trap sequence. That was like a whole, like, the, I, I considered that whole sequence a nod to the 60s show. That, that was, was ridiculous. There was, a lot of, there was like a lot of Easter egg, too. Easter egg things, too. The, uh, during the death trap sequence, when he was the hardcore rocker, music meister type person, he uh, there were signs for different bands and stuff, and some of the bands were different groups from the DC Universe, like the Metal Men, like uh, Challengers of the Unknown. And I thought that was kind of cool, seeing that kind of stuff. I completely missed that. That's awesome. I need to watch that again now and look for that. Yeah, I mean... There's obviously a lot of detail with the the Brave and the Bold, but I mean, it just tells me that the Brave and the Bold's in good hands, and uh, it's pleasing the audience it's trying to please. So it's certainly achieving its objective and doing it very well. Exactly. Part of me would love a sequel episode, but they wouldn't be able to top that or or replicate it. Or afford Neil Patrick Harris again. Uh, Neil Patrick Harris is awesome. I don't know if you guys watch How I Met Your Mother, but he hits it out of the park every week on that show. So let's move along into merchandise news, which there's only a couple things to report. The very first thing 
is that we were sent over a press release from Warner Brothers saying that they are they have announced that they have partnered with Bloomingdale's for different superhero apparel. Um, this would include many different Batman items, including scarves, rings, shirts, uh, wallets. Um, pretty interesting stuff. If you want to check out the press release and see some of the pictures of the different items, make sure you go over to the website and look for the headline that says WB Partners with Bloomingdale's. Alright, so as another thing, a reminder, on October 15th, the Gotham City Thug Joker is now on sale at MaddieCollector.com. You can buy it. Mine's in the mail. It should be here, hopefully, in the next couple days. Um, it's a 6-inch figure that's from the Movie Masters uh, line that originally came out when The Dark Knight was released. So, super detailed character, Joker in his mask and the outfit that he wore during the bank robbery scene. Yeah, I've been impressed with the detail of these um, of these of this set of figures actually, and uh, again, they seem to have done it pretty well. Moving on to the last bit of merchandise news, October nineteenth, DC Direct announced the new items going to be released in June two thousand ten. There was only three related Batman items, but nonetheless, the three items is three items. Uh, so one of those things is a Harley Quinn statue, part of the Cover Girls of the DC Universe statue series. There will be a Detective Comics action figure box set, which will include Riddler, Batman, Batmite, Robin, and Batgirl. So Batmite gets his own little action figure. Um, and then we will also have the JLA Trophy Room Batman Modern Utility Belt Prop Replica. Now what this is, is a couple years ago we had the 60s uh, Bat, and it wasn't even a couple years ago, it was only about a year and a half ago actually, The there was a Bat, Bat Utility Belt that was released Life size on a shelf. You can just—it's for display purposes, but it was the original bat, or it was the original utility belt. This one is now the modern utility belt, so it will cost you a decent amount of money. But I'm in the process of trying to figure out a way to save up to get this because it's going to be three hundred and fifty dollars. And honestly, if you have a room in your house that is your Batman room. This is something, these JLA trophy room items are items that they look like they, sh they belong in museums. They come in cases and everything where you just put it on the wall. They had the Joker cane in the past. They had the bat, bat signal. So there's a lot of different things that they've had, which is really nice. Um, I think this belt looks really great. Um, I mean, you say it's modern, but to me it looks a little bit like Adam West's belt with uh, some extra pouches on it and uh, a gold buckle. But other than that, I think I think it looks fantastic, and it's a shame it's so expensive, but it looks great. And DC Direct are doing some really great stuff. For that much money, I'm not buying any Batman belt unless it comes with actual shark repellent bat spray. <laughs> So, moving on, we have absolutely no video game news except for Batman Arkham Asylum. If you haven't played it, you need to play it. Get out there, buy it, or at least rent it. By the That's way, 
I came across someone who hadn't bought the game the other day. I was furious. And what was the reasoning? Uh, they hadn't heard of it. I couldn't believe it. I hadn't seen this. And, I, and he said, um, oh, no, what's that all about? I couldn't believe he'd never heard of it. He's quite a gamer. So, you know, make sure you keep getting the word out there because there is the odd person who hasn't played it yet. going to move into our listener Q&A and we are going to read a question that was sent to us from a fan asking us about nothing other than Halloween. So Josh is going to read the email from the fan. Okay, this is from uh, Felix. He's in Hamburg, Germany. Oh, cool. Hamburg, Germany. And he says, hey guys, love the podcast. I'm thinking about dressing up as a Batman-related character for Halloween, but not sure what kind of costume to make. Have you guys ever dressed as Batman-related characters for Halloween or maybe during the rest of the year? And he puts in parentheses, you know what I'm talking about. (laughs) How did you make the costumes and what did you dress up as and what was your friend's reaction? I'm thinking of dressing as Black Mask. Thoughts? Well, I personally never actually dressed as Batman uh, over the years. Last year for Halloween, I actually dressed as one of the Joker thugs from the uh, bank robbery scene. I had found it, found one of the Joker masks at a local comic shop. Actually, it was a costume shop. Now that I think about it, it was an actual costume shop. They had the one of the masks, masks, and I wore the mask and dressed just like the guy did who wore the mask in the movie. And it wasn't the Joker one. It was a different character. It's very easy to do. But that's probably the only time I've actually dressed up as a Batman-related character. Now, as a side note, I've been to a party that I've seen three different people dressed as Batman all at the same party, which was kind of crazy. And... My wife actually used to have a Batgirl costume that she bought one year and went as Batgirl when I was when we lived in different city, uh, different states. Um, I've dressed as Batman once when I well when I was at uni. Uh, we had a few nights out which were dress up, and so I I went once as um, Batman with a costume that was a friend of mine. It was quite an expensive one. It looked pretty. It actually looked pretty cheap. It wasn't very good. It had like molded muscles and stuff. It looked pretty rubbish. And the cow didn't look very good either. That seems to be a difficult thing for Batman. But I've been as the Joker twice. Sort of the... I would say it's a cross between Heath Ledger and the Arkham Asylum Joker. And I've done the makeup and everything. Or got friends to do the makeup. And I've looked pretty awesome as the Joker. And the Joker's always a good one. If there was one I would love to do right now is the Riddler. But I don't think you're going to find a suit that good that you could ruin 
to make the Riddler outfit, but that's one I'd like to go as next. Yeah, Felix, um, I don't know if I would recommend Black Mask, because that one's so obscure, a lot of people wouldn't know who you are. It's a bit scary, though. It fits the Halloween motif. I think that it has negative connotations, too, the people who don't know what you're doing. Uh, but I've, I, there's a picture of me. I was 10 or 11 years old, and for summer camp, we had costume day, and I had this horrible Batman Forever costume that was, like, very cheaply made, and it's falling apart, and there's a picture of me in it, and it's like, my God, this is like, you know those, like, kids' costumes that look like they were, like, shoddily manufactured? And as a special uh, to everyone out there who listens to the podcast, Josh will post that picture on the blog. If I can find it and, and upload it, yeah. I I wanted to dress up as Robin one year, and I couldn't find a Robin costume, so I actually made one. Like, out of, like, I glued, like, an R to, to a red shirt, and I made a little domino mask. I, I, I'm remembering this just now. I hadn't thought about that in years. I wanted to dress up as the Joker last year. But I realized, yeah, me and the rest of the world, I'm not going to dress as the Joker with like along with 900 other people. It'll be like that. If anyone saw that episode of The Office where it's the <laughs> Halloween party and everybody's dressed up as the Joker. Yeah, you see, I did it. Bef- I did it before The Dark Knight came out, so I was ahead of the curve there. Well, th- this year it's pr- it would probably be better to do it because you wouldn't have as much competition. And I, I tried to look for Jokers while I was uh, taking the kids out trick-or-treating last year, and I didn't see as many as I thought I would. Um, there is a picture of me in Joker makeup because I got my face painted for an event a year ago. Uh, there was a Halloween party at one of the schools that one of my client's kids go to that I had to go to earlier this week, and I tried to dress up as the Joker. I uh, spray-painted my hair green, but I wasn't able to get the white makeup on in time, so I was just some random green-haired guy at a party. <laughs> <laughs> Halloween night. A small American town. Fifteen years ago. So thank you, Felix, for sending us that question. Uh, make sure that if you guys want a question answered, you send us the question to podcast at thebatmanuniverse.net, and we will ask your question on the air. Uh, we have a couple other questions. We actually have a question from a listener that we're going to cover the next time um, as a actual feature, because the question, in order to discuss it, it would take a little too long for us to cover it as just the answer of a question. So, let's move into our spotlight character. For this episode, as we mentioned it, because it's Halloween, we're going to do somebody who's been dead for quite some time, Solomon Grundy. Alright, so Solomon Grundy. On Earth 2, wealthy merchant Cyrus Gold was killed, and his body was tossed in Slaughter Swamp just outside Gotham City. Fifty years later, in 1944, a hulking, white-skinned zombie fashioned from Gold's corpse rose from the swamp. The near-mindless creature recalled nothing of his past life and shambled into the city, killing two hobos on the way and taking their clothing for itself. 
Before they died, they asked him his name, and all he recalled was born on a Monday, which reminded them of a nursery rhyme about Salman Grundy. Once in the city, the newly named Grundy began committing crimes, only to be opposed by Green Lantern 1. Given the presence of the swamp mixed with organic matter, there was enough wood in his physical composition to make Grundy resistant to Green Lantern's emerald energy. That was in All-American Comics, number 61, October 1944. Grundy fought Green Lantern and other heroes for years until he was stranded on the moon for more than two decades. Grundy did eventually find his way back to Earth, only to be opposed again by Green Lantern, Dr. Fate, and Our Man. This was in Showcase number 55, March through April 1965. He remained a recurring threat, always managing to escape imprisonment, and once engaged Blockbuster in a Titanic fight in Justice League of America 47, September 1966. Grundy eventually migrated to Earth-1, where he was was pulverized. Superman's nemesis, the Parasite, used the residual elements to help create a new incarnation, which was even more mindless than its predecessor. Too dangerous to remain on Earth, Grundy was taken by Superman to an alien world, leaving behind one of his capes to appease the creature. This uh, took place in Superman issue 301, which was published in July 1976. On the one Earth left after Crisis on Infinite Earths, Grundy never left the planet and remained a reoccurring plague on Green Lantern's career. He kept returning to Gotham City, possibly drawn back to the site of his creation. As a result, Batman met with him on numerous occasions, beginning with the sewer encounter during the first year in action, Batman The Long Halloween number 12 from November 1997. Years later, it was learned that each time Grundy was decimated and reborn, his persona was altered. Sometimes Grundy was childlike, other times he was a rampaging monster. During one of the latter incarnations, it took the combined efforts of Starman, the Floronic Man, Green Lantern and Batman to subdue him. Batman again was confronted by Grundy, this time mind-controlled by super-ape Gorilla Grodd at the behest of President Lex Luthor. The Dark Knights had other battles with Grundy, who continued to be destroyed and recreated upon in a never-ending battle between heroes and villains. And this uh, was in Justice League of America, the second series, issue 6, in March 2007. And that is Solomon Grundy. As we know, Solomon Grundy just appeared in Superman, Batman, Public Enemies. He's appeared in the Batman TV show, as well as the Batman, or as well as just or Justice League Unlimited as well. And Family Guy. What? Yeah, I watched it the other day. He was in it. That's the third one of the podcast. Well, well, what did he do? I don't, rem- I don't remember this. Uh, they, they go like, meanwhile at the Legion of Doom, and you see uh, Lex Luthor say something like, "How did they figure this out?" And then Grundy goes, "Oh, Grundy muck up or something like that." Oh, yeah, that, that uh, actually I remember that one now. Uh, one of the things that's interesting is it's like he was stranded on the moon for two decades, but he found his way back to Earth. It's like, wait, what? How? <laughs> <laughs> that's that's kind of a pretty big detail. What do you guys think of Solomon Grundy? I mean, I, I don't think he's that interesting, to be honest. He's not interesting unless you read the, the, the incarnations of him where he actually is very smart. Because then he's basically the Hulk, but super smart, not a monster, very powerful, very interesting character. 
Yeah, I think he's all right. I just there's never been a story where I've particularly been like, oh, cool, Solomon Grundy. I like this guy, and I consider him more of a DCU villain than a Batman villain. So it is interesting that how long he's been around, though. And I, I, I'm actually going to look into rereading though that uh, old Green Lantern story with him because the 1940s they did horror comics a lot better than they did later on, and I think that they they probably would have pulled off Solomon Grundy really well. Watch that reading comes off corny, but we all know how in the 50s and 60s the comic code basically stifled a lot of the violence and horror elements. And that is going to bring up my very first point as we move into the feature. Mr. Grundy's looking for a bigger brain. Something in Nobel Prize sucks, and you've been picked to donate. won't need a brain where you're going, Grundy. Now, as we talked about, we're going to talk about all kinds of different monsters, creatures, ghosts, ghouls that Batman has encountered over the years. Um, specifically, as Josh mentioned, the 60s kind of eliminated a lot of the horror elements, but as things picked up in the 70s and 80s, there was a decent amount of horror element that actually came back to the comics. So there's was plenty of different instances where Batman interacted with various monsters in the comics during the 70s, even while Neil Adams was on the book. Um, and then we've got some other things we're going to talk about too, the different episodes of the Batman TV shows that feature different monsters that he's fought with. And when we're talking monsters, we're talking like typical universal monsters. Frankenstein, Dracula, the werewolf. We're not talking about doomsday or somebody like that because the, the, yes that is a monster but it's not the type of monster you think about when you think of Halloween traditional horror monsters right yeah so the first one we're going to talk about is none other than references to Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde there's a couple different ones the very first one and the most obvious is going to be Batman dealing with Man Bat Man Bat is specifically Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde. Kirk Langstrom is Dr. Jekyll. Man Bat is Mr. Hyde. Well, I've always really liked that story, and um, I think you see that type of story about two different personas fairly often in, in lots of stories nowadays, but this was the original and where it came from. And as a standalone Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde, the book is excellent. I can't think of a film that's been particularly outstanding going uh, concerning that particular monster but uh, regarding man bat i think they get that pretty well um and the, the transformation is also a little bit similar to the werewolf but uh, they clearly that's where they got their inspiration from and man bat is developed into quite an interesting character as a result i think because of the torture that the the nice side has to deal with the evil side yeah i like man bat i think that sometimes uh, some of the writers from storyline to storyline don't know what to do with him because in some incarnations he's just pure primal creature and there's no shades of his human self when he's man bat and there's been some stories where he when he turns in the man bat i mean he could actually control his transformations and he has his human mind while he's man bat and he's teaming up with alfred to solve mysteries so, uh, but when it's done right, it's done really well. Uh, the example that comes to mind is um, when Scott McDaniel and Chuck Dixon were on the Nightwing book uh, about ten years ago or so. There's a storyline where uh, Man Bat comes to Blood Bloodhaven, 
and Deathstroke is hunting him. And the way that Man Bat is drawn and portrayed in that story is really uh, horrific. And I don't mean horrific like, oh my god, it's horrible, but I mean like horrific, like a horror creature. And, you know, and it's ferocious and scary, which is how Man Bat should be portrayed. Yeah, I mean, if you're talking about how it's portrayed, I think Man Bat can be incredibly different. As you say, it can be really scary, really creepy, or you can go a bit more friendly like the animated series did with the first ever episode. Whereas I think in the in that episode, the um, not seeing the monster is a lot scarier than when you actually see it, which happens with a lot of these sort of monster ideas. And uh, seeing Man Bat fly and just seeing him in the shadows, it's pretty creepy. And then when you see him, he's actually, you know, he's pretty kid-friendly because this is a kid-friendly TV show we're talking about. But it's an interesting character because you can vary so much in how you want to portray him. The episode that was awesome where... Um you thought that Man Bat had returned, and you see Man Bat kind of in the shadows throughout the whole episode and sneaking into Langstrom's house and going into the bed, and then Kurt and Francine both wake up and they're like, oh, what's going on? And they're fooling you into the whole episode, and it turns out that Kirk isn't Man Bat, but it's Francine this time. Remember that one? Yeah. That, that, was, that was really good, and I loved that reveal. Mr. Wayne? Quite a scrapbook for someone who's never paid much attention to the Batman. Oh, don't trouble yourself, Mr. Wayne. A pompous pretty boy like you could never understand my work. Try me, Doctor. I want to be like the Batman. You want to be a crime fighter? No, Mr. Wayne. I want to be feared. You forced me to accelerate my testing schedule. That's a pity the Batman himself can't be here to witness The birth of man bat. So that's a good reference to Jekyll and Hyde. The other one that also has to do with Jekyll and Hyde is that there was an actual miniseries, Jekyll and Hyde, Batman Jekyll and Hyde, that came out, um, I want to say it was 2005 it came out, and I think that's about right, but uh, it didn't have anything to do with Man Bat per se, but it actually had everything to do with Two-Face, which Two-Face is a, isn't exactly a Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde, but the fact that he has two personalities... He just doesn't have to deal with them at separate times. He has to constantly deal with them at the exact same time. Yeah, I think um, he's another really good example of that. Two personalities clashing, and it depends sort of what version of Two-Face you're talking about. Because some people seem to write Two-Face, and you can tell that Harvey Dent is still in there. as a, you know the, the, the nice human being Harvey Dent is still in there for trying to fight the evil Two-Face and then sometimes it's just Two-Face is completely evil and Harvey Dent doesn't seem to be there doesn't seem to be any Harvey Dent remaining in him and um, again that's another character that people can portray fairly differently Two-Face works great when he's portrayed as a tragic character with the split personality and I was going to say something similar to what Nick had said is sometimes it's like the split personality isn't even a factor in a lot of these stories. He's just an evil guy, and sometimes the only trace that you see of his split personality is the coin, which is the whole, well, should I be good or evil? But otherwise, he's just generally portrayed as an evil guy whose face happens to be split down the middle. I mean, if you take about 28 Batman comics that have Two-Face in them, 
I'd say maybe three or four of them, you'll get traces of him having conflict with his split personality, maybe. For the most part, it's generally forgotten, which is sad because it's a very good angle of the character to play up, when, and it works really well when done right. Um, I think one that did it right was uh, the one-year-later storyline. I think it was called uh, Face to Face, where uh, Harvey Dent, uh, he, he's got his uh, full face back. He's not scarred anymore. And you see Two-Face kind of taking over and him having – there's one whole issue where it's his internal monologue with himself the whole time before he finally scars himself. So Two-Face overall is more of a – isn't really like we said. He's not really a Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, but he is he is a conflicted character that has similarities towards the Jekyll-Hyde uh, theory. talk about a different one let's move on to the grim reaper now specifically grim reaper we know as the character who comes to you when you're about to die um there has been portrayal of a character called the reaper in batman comics uh that came around actually during the first part of the batman year two storyline which nick reviewed a couple months back for bat books for beginners on the comic podcast but this also, the Reaper also has similarities to the Phantasm that was in Mask of the Phantasm, the animated uh, movie as well. That uh, the movie really worked well playing up the horror elements of the Phantasm, complete with that blade on her, spoiler alert, her arm. Uh, I'm going to assume that you've all seen the movie because it's like 15, almost 20 years old at this point. But it, with the blade on the arm, which was, and the way that uh, she killed all those people... And the voice and everything and the mist, that was, you know, really good horror elements. I quite enjoyed the Reaper in Batman Year Two. I thought uh, they were quite ruthless. You know, they killed pre- that spoiler guy, killed people pretty um, efficiently and quickly and wasn't worried about the mess or anything. And I think um, it was an interesting character. It was a little bit rushed. But other than that, I thought the Reaper was a good one. Now... There was actually more than one different, more than one Reaper in the comics. There was the Judson Caspian, who is the one in Batman Year Two, but then there was another Reaper in a one shot that was called Batman Full Circle. And surprisingly enough, this the character who played the Reaper in this incarnation of him was actually Joe Chill's son. Um, so that's that's kind of interesting that the person who caused uh, so much pain through death for Batman ended up being a character. His son's his son ended up being a character down the line that would portray a character that is all about death. And if you follow that storyline, didn't the original Reaper kill Joe Chill? Yep. Yes. 
Yeah, so the, so the son took up the uh, mantle of the guy that killed his father. And the Reaper, right. when he was drawn by Todd McFarlane, was pretty awesome. I mean, Todd McFarlane did better horror stuff um, later in his career, but it, it was still pretty cool. I mean, you know, this is pre-Spawn and stuff like that. And I just, this is one other, like, little piece of trivia that I just wanted to bring up because I find it really interesting. But there was actually a pre-crisis Reaper. Uh, The Reaper was called Dr. Gruner. He was a German Jew who was placed in a concentration camp run by Colonel Kurt Schloss. And he kills Schloss at a Halloween parade and dies battling Batman when he falls off a cliff. And I just find that extremely interesting because it was during the Halloween parade. Anyway. And what issue was that in? Uh, I don't know which, which issue it was off the top of my head. I know it was created. That was a Denny O'Neill thing, though. I'll have to hmm. look through the back issues. Check that out. Quite a spooky coincidence. <laughs> So let's move on to the next character. We're going to do some references. Uh, the werewolf. Um, there's a couple of different things that we could talk about with the wolf. Um, more recently, we've had Batman or Superman, Batman vs. Vampires and Werewolves, which if Apple was here, he'd be choking because he doesn't like talking about it at all. And he thinks it was a horrible series. And in some regards, it was a horrible series. But, nonetheless, it does uh, have the werewolf in it. We also have some issues from way back in the day that actually have a character called Anthony Lupus. Now, Anthony Lupus was a character that ended up becoming, who know, like who, who would think somebody with the last name Lupus would become a werewolf, but they become a werewolf, and he battles Batman, and... That's in, I want to say, Batman 255. So, basically, the werewolf takes over Lupus. Lupus um, fights with Batman, and Batman actually says to Lupus that if he stops doing what he's doing, he will. He promises to help him figure out a way to stop the madness that he's getting from being the werewolf. Um, this is all caused by Professor Milo, and interestingly enough, that the the story ends up getting resolved, but the name of the story was called Moon of the Wolf. Now we'll talk about that exact title in a second, in relationship to something else. But needless to say, this Lupus character, this wasn't the only issue that he appeared in. He ended up appearing in some episode or an issue later on down the line, when Batman went to search for him in Alaska, uh, because Lupus's sister needed a transplant, a bone marrow transplant, and needed lupus to give her the bone marrow. So that was, uh, so it's not like he's just appeared once. Do you know if uh, Batman used silver bullets or anything like that to capture him? I do not know off the top of my head, but I know that in the second issue that he was, or the second story that he was in where Batman went to Alaska, Batman did have a silver net to help catch him. 
cool. Batman used uh, silver bullets in the Golden Age when he was rescuing uh, Julie Madison from those vampires and werewolves. That's right, yes. Yeah, I know I just talked about this in the comic cast, but for those of you who don't listen to that, one of my favorite Batman stories is the story from the Golden Age where Julie Madison, uh, Batman's fiance at the time, gets kidnapped. Uh, he goes to Europe to save her, and there's like a group of... Uh, it, now this was recently reinterpreted as Batman and the Mad Monk and Batman and the Monster Men, but uh, she's uh, they want to tr- and one issue they say that they want to turn her into a werewolf and then in another issue, they it's like they're vampires. It's it, you're really not sure, but it's a group of vampires and werewolves. Ironically enough, I know Apple won't be too happy about that. <laughs> It's one of my favorite issues, and it has the horror elements, and he defeats them by, of course, shooting silver bullets at them. And uh, there's, a, there's like, the f- this funny part in, at, in like, part two where this one vampire, like, named Dallas, like, oh, I've been captured, too. And Batman's like, oh, okay, I'll save you, and here I'll lock you in this room with my fiancé. What's the worst that can happen? And, of course, you know, because she's a vampire, bites her, brainwashes her, and then, like, you know, they sleepwalk out of there. This was before Batman was super perfect and can anticipate everything. Well, I knew you were a vampire all along. I was just playing along. I know everything. I'm Batman. Um, I think the werewolves get a bit of a harsh time just because it seems that over time, I mean, these monsters have obviously been around for years now, and it seems that over time the you know the vampires sort of adapt from the old-fashioned Christopher Lee stuff to Twilight. Or um, or Blade, uh, and and they seem to the vampires are always adapting into new exciting vampires. And Jekyll and Hyde, I've I've seen there was a TV show over here that was um, based on Jekyll and Hyde, much more modern, much more updated. It seems that the werewolf is always stuck with its um, stuck with its principles and the, the full moon, and obviously that transformation bit. There hasn't been many modern updates of werewolves. Uh, I know there's a new film coming out called The Wolfman, which looks like a very classical werewolf sort of story, and um, it seems that they always stick with the same thing with werewolves, and clearly they did the same thing with Batman, and the silver bullets, or silver nets, or whatever. And it always seems that the werewolf sticks with the same story, which is a shame, because I'd like to see a modern retelling of werewolves. Okay, now, what I mentioned earlier about talking about the moon of the wolf. Now, it turns out that I didn't know this until actually I started doing the research for this episode, but um, there was an episode of Batman the Animated Series called Moon of the Wolf. It aired in November of 1992. Now, interestingly enough, I knew about this episode. I've seen this episode a couple times, but I never knew about the comic that was, uh, it was, I guess, essentially based off of, in a way. There was a character, his name was Anthony Romolis, instead of Lupus, but essentially the same exact thing as Anthony Lupus. So it was a very close um, interpretation of the comic. It even had Professor Milo in it. And um, Anthony Lupus was a uh, Olympic athlete, wasn't he, in the comic? And he was also that in the animated series, too. Correct. That was a very good episode. I saw that one again recently. It's funny, though, because it, I think it was earlier on in the series run, because you could see how they're still getting the character designs in the animation just right. Anyone else get that sense when you were watching it again? Or Yeah. Even... um. 
uh, Professor Milo. I mean, his character design, that was, if that would have been done towards, you know, the end of the series, he would have looked a lot different, I think. But it was, it was still very good stuff. It was 25 years ago that my father found it. It was torn to pieces and half eaten. Whatever did it was big. And Buckshot couldn't kill it. After that, my father went home and cast silver bullets. Wouldn't leave the house on a full moon from then on. All right, so that's the werewolf aspect of, of uh, Batman interacting with werewolves. Now let's get to one of the more well-known and more popular ones, which would be Batman and vampires. I uh, found to suck your blood. <laughs> there's, a, there's a couple different interpretations. Um, some of the very early interpretations take Batman dealing with werewolves all the way back to actually Batman... Uh, actually, in Detective Comics, during 19, the mid-1970s, there was a couple different issues that had to do with Batman and vampires. A um, couple of really interesting interpretations, specifically in Detective Comics number 455, there's a story that dealt specifically with Dracula, and you could actually tell by looking at some of the art that they based the pictures in the comic, specifically off scenes from horror movies that involved Dracula. From the 70s or from the 50s? The horror movies from the 50s. Right. Cool. I remember in the late 70s, early 80s at one point, they uh, did a reinterpretation of the storyline, uh, the one I was telling about with the vampires and werewolves, um, and that one vampire woman, Dalla, they placed her in Robin's College... And they had her kind of be a temptress and lure him, and they did the whole reinterpretation of the Mad Monk story, but this time with Robin, and uh, in the I guess Robin in the place of Julie Madison, really. It's kind of weird when you think about it. Um, Dracula... I, I think Dracula's always very popular, and obviously because of Batman and his slight similarities to Dracula in the way, obviously, he looks like a bat, lives in a cave. Um, I think there's always a lot of potential for Batman and vampires, and uh, Dracula is always a good one. Um, how many times do you reckon he's appeared in the comics, Dracula? Um, well, let's see. There was that story in the 70s with him. Um, I want to say that there was more than one, but I might be wrong, but... He was in that one, and then there was the three Elseworlds stories, which was Batman Red Rain, Batman Crimson Mist, and Batman Bloodstorm, um, where Batman actually becomes a vampire because of Dracula, kills Dracula in the first book. The second book, Dracula's not dead, so Batman has to fight jo or fight him again because Dracula teams up with Joker. And then in the third one... It was an interesting story, and I wish I could remember all the details, but it's been a little while since I've read them. Um, but Batman ends up becoming a vampire himself in those books so that he can fight Dracula and defeat Dracula. But um, those are some pretty interesting Dracula books, too. And then, of course, Batman, Vampires, and Werewolves. Um, those are the, th the ones that come to my mind as soon as I think of Batman and Vampires. There might be others that I'm not remembering, though. 
There's also all those early uh, Batman stories. Well, some of them aren't early. When they do reinterpretations of early on in Batman's career, when people are first hearing about him, they always compare him to Dracula. Like, what is he gonna, you know, suck our blood and leave us for dead? And they compare Batman to vampire and stuff. The Detective Comics number thirty-one, for instance, had a cover. The cover of the book had Batman kind of looking over a mansion mm-hmm. and the mansion was it was a real fog he was up on a cliff but batman's standing towering over it in the background as somebody's running away with um the girl in the background and i'm thinking that's the same story you were talking about earlier that's exactly it it's also the first time he uses uh the batarang and uh but then later on down the road neil adams actually paid homage to bob kane's detective comics 31 cover in Batman number 227, where it was the same Batman standing over the, or standing in the background, big full moon in the background, the mansion sitting up on top of the cliff, and somebody chasing after a girl with a bunch of wolves. So that was an interesting, but that's just one interpretation of the Batman stories kind of pulling things from horror elements, because that book, that, that uh, pose on the cover itself is actually can be referred back to a couple different interpretations of horror movies, specifically The Devil's Bride, which is somebody standing there while somebody standing in the background while a girl's being carried away in, uh, by somebody who's evil or whatever. But It looks like a an old uh, horror movie poster, doesn't it? And then if you talk about vampires just in general in Batman's world you've there was the retelling I suppose it's the retelling of this story isn't it the mad monk was just redone a few years ago yep. and uh, that was that was pretty entertaining I have to admit I enjoyed that and uh, I thought the vampires were pretty interesting in that one or, or rather the mad monk on his own was pretty interesting I liked it I mean I, I I'm a little biased because I love that story and you know great callbacks to an interesting note that story was also the first Batman story that was not written by Bill Finger. Which is interesting because there's only four stories later. Yeah, I know. Four issues later. Well, I, okay. he, it was a fill-in story for like two issues. Bill Finger came back the next issue. or Well, no, a- after that arc was over. Alright, so let's move on to the very last thing, which would be the discussion of the Batman vs. Dracula from 2005, the animated movie based similarity off of uh, the Batman TV series, same style and everything like that, but Batman meets Dracula for the first time in that uh, that movie, and actually fights Dracula and conveniently defeats him. Yeah, and then we get a vampire Joker as well. Or vampire gorilla Joker. <laughs> Jamaican, Jamaican pimp Joker. Or... But uh, the Joker... Is ends up becoming a vampire too in that uh, in that movie, and this movie obviously pulled all kinds of different uh, aspects from different um, horror movies too. Specifically, the fact that Dracula calls himself Doctor Alucard, which is Dracula spelled backwards, that's appeared in numerous horror movies over the years. But that was a pretty interesting issue or pretty interesting movie and has been played over and over again every time Halloween comes around on Cartoon Network or some of the other networks that play Batman cartoons. 
Yeah, and I think we've mentioned this before, but uh, even if you didn't like the Batman series and turned it off after the first episode, this film is surprisingly um, pretty entertaining. And I'm, I'm someone that didn't particularly enjoy the Batman series, but I thought well, this film was pretty good. And I urge you all to check it out, just in case you're, you immediately uh, don't want to watch it just because of the TV show. This film is a much better quality than that. I'm going to agree with Nick. Um, I wasn't into the Batman TV series. I might revisit it now that it's been over for a while and get, kind of give it another chance. But I, any, when I saw this, I was like, oh, Batman versus Dracula. Yeah, I'm going to care about this. But um, it was available on Instant Watch on my Netflix. So every once in a while, if I'm bored and there's nothing on my DVR and nothing on my Netflix I'm really into seeing, sometimes I'll be more prone to check these movies out. And I surprisingly enjoyed this one a lot. You know, it was really a good quality. And I mean, yeah, there's some weird stuff in there, like Vampire Joker and everything. And they were a lot more violent uh, than I thought that they would be, too. But I guess you can do that because it's not an episode of the cartoon. It's, you know, the direct-to-DVD movie. Apparently, there have been two other movies in which Batman has fought Dracula. And that was oh, yes, Batman... The, yeah. yeah. Which, uh, Batman Dracula in 64, and Batman fights Dracula in 1967, but none of these movies were authorized by DC Comics. Uh, it'll be like that YouTube clip with, like, the Hispanic Joker singing. <laughs> Those movies are scary, but for, but for a different reason. Yeah, but yeah, they didn't get Adam West in to play Batman for those films. Oh, Adam would have been an improvement over some of those unauthorized movies that I've seen clips of. <laughs> so the folk tales are true. There is another bat in Gotham. Count Dracula, I presume. A legend you are apparently intimate with. Don't flatter yourself. We cast kindred shadows. Have you not seen the news? I don't harm people. You have no concept of the harm of which I am capable. If only because I really hate to waste a life when it can be spent in servitude to me. Life or living death? To become vampire is to heighten all of one's senses, to attain speed, strength, and immortality. All right, so that's going to wrap up this feature. We spent a decent amount of time. We know we didn't cover every single monster out there that Batman's dealt with, but hey, we plan on being around for a while, and we need things to talk about next Halloween. So there's yeah. other monsters out there. If there's monsters that you think that we would we would forget and we would never talk about, Send us an email and we'll put it in the, the folder and make sure we bring it up next year when we talk about things having to do with Batman and Halloween. Uh, but that is going to wrap everything up for this episode.
Make sure that if you have a question, you email it to us at podcast at thebatmanuniverse.net. If you have, uh, if you just want to email us in general, email us to that same address. You can check out the website for daily news about Batman. You can join the forums. You can follow the any of the editorial stuff that we put on the website as far as blog entries, um, Randall editorial comments, reviews of comic books, reviews of the Batman Brave and the Bold, anything like that at all will be found on the editorial section of the website. You can go onto iTunes, leave us a review. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. YouTube really is just when we post up new videos, we'll post them up through YouTube so you can check out that. And in some regards, the YouTube videos will actually post prior to YouTube, prior to us posting on the site. They'll actually be posted on uh, on YouTube first, so you can check that out by subscribing to the Batman Universe on YouTube. This is the last possible time that you will hear us talk about making sure that you nominate us for the Project Fanboy Awards. Uh, by the time you listen to this, if it's after the 31st, which hopefully you've listened to it before and you've already put your vote in, but you have to, we have to be nominated before October 31st in order to qualify for the actual war, Project Fanboy Awards. So please go over to the website if you haven't already and do it. And if you already have, go over the website to see if you see if we have been nominated, and then you can start voting right away for the, us to win. As far as that, um, that is everything that you can do in regards to getting in contact with us and following everything that we're putting out. So, this is Dustin. This is Nick. You got Josh. And you have been listening to the Halloween special for the Batman Universe podcast. We'll see you guys next time. Happy Halloween. Darkness falls across the land. The midnight hour is close at hand. Creatures crawl in search of blood to terrorize your old neighborhood. The phallus stench is in the air, the funk of 40,000 years, and grisly ghouls from every tomb are closing in to seal your doom. And though you fight to stay alive, your body starts to shiver, for no mere mortal can resist the evil of the thriller. You gotta do an evil laugh as well.
This is Necromancer Nick. <laughs> Nightmare Nick would have been awesome too. Yeah. Uh, let's see. What begins with a J? So you guys get all the good uh, letters. Jellified? I don't know. <laughs> Somebody break out a, th- a thesaurus. All right, well, Jekyll, I'm going to make one. Just do Jekyll Josh. Yeah. Yeah. Start this that, is why I blame you for everything messing up because this is what you do. This is what <laughs> this is why the podcast takes two hours to record. Uh, it's not just me. It is you. It's all you. Anyway, Superman's nemesis, the parasite, used redig- resi- Okay, let me start that paragraph over. Grundy eventually migrated to Earth One, where he was pulverized. Superman's nemesis, the parasite, used the residual resid. Residual? Yeah. yeah. Superman's nemesis, the parasite, used the residual... Wow, really? <laughs> Superman's nemesis, the parasite, used the residual elements to help create what? I, I was just going to say, I can't believe that you don't believe that it's all you who messes things up. You know, this is just <laughs> anyway, a coincidence this week. Anyway, <laughs> uh, everything's always a coincidence. The only trace of his split personality is the coin. You gonna blame the dogs on me? Yeah, I think yeah, that, that was... movie really works well. Sorry, Josh, go ahead. No, no, that no. I, I, I just I wasn't sure if you were gonna jump in, so I said something. You can go first. Um. Well, I can't think of anything to say, so if you go first. Okay. I think. And there never seems that there's no sort of. Twilight version of werewolves with actually no I'm wrong there's a werewolf in Twilight isn't there um, <laughs> uh, yes, there. 